culture is super important, drives your ability to hire and retain great people, which then drives your you know, revenue and operating performance and ultimately the value. Hiring is a hot topic right now. So in today's episode, I'm excited, joined by founder and chairman of GH Smart, Jeff Smart. Jeff is a three-time Forbes winner for best management consulting firm in his segment, PhD in psychology from Claremont University, studied under management guru Peter Drucker. You might've heard that name. And Jeff's book comes highly recommended. I actually was recommended this book a few years ago when we were starting to really staff up. Jeff's New York Times best-selling book, Who? Solve Your Number One Problem. It's the method for better hiring. Uh, using something called a power score, uh, which is what Jeff talks a little bit about in today's discussion, is his formula for leadership success. What I want to talk to Jeff about today is hiring is, it's never been more important. And breaking down the hiring and the recruiting process, you know, it feels like there are certain brands that maybe aren't so lasered and so dialed in and they're maybe hiring by the seat of their pants. Those hires obviously will have a higher likelihood of um, turning over or not being successful. So I really want to talk to Jeff about uh, hiring strategy, recruiting process, interview process. Like if you're someone out there and you're thinking about hiring, uh, how should you be thinking about it today? We talked about everything from culture to leadership uh, to, again, strategies to make great hiring decisions. Here's Jeff Smart. So Jeff, uh, I guess to kick us off, could you tell us a little bit about about your work? You've written a ton of books. You've talked uh, as, as a leading expert on these topics around hiring and talent. Uh, what got you into it? Yeah, so I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and leadership. Um, what got me into it? So, you know, reading In Search of Excellence back in the 80s by Tom Peters, um, also, the Peter Drucker books uh, were really just interesting reads as, as I was a, a kid. Um, flash forward, uh, I got to study with Peter Drucker, the father of management in graduate school uh, out of Claremont. And I was just very interested in the idea, the fundamental idea that um, good leadership isn't this kind of intuitive thing that just sort of you're born with, uh, but it's a set of practices that you can master. And I, I think leadership is one of the most important um, levers for elevating the quality of life of, of humanity, like sort of pick your favorite cause or, you know, whether it's for-profit, government, not-for-profit, good leadership makes the difference between getting great results um, or not. So I've always been fascinated with it. I started my company, GH Smart, uh, while I was still in graduate school, and that was 20, almost six years ago. And, um, and we're just having a blast today uh, advising leaders of all size companies and uh, out of our 12 offices around the US and Europe. What's the hot topic for you right now that you find yourself talking to leaders about? Um, managing remotely, like for this is kind of weird because you know companies have been you know global for you know decades and decades and, uh, but it took COVID and a pandemic to really um, highlight how important some elements or aspects of leadership are in a, in a kind of a remote um, context. So um, we had asked a lot about like, how do you, you know, manage 
remotely and is this going to stay or is everybody going to be hopping on planes again i just got my second pfizer vaccine um a couple, few weeks ago and some i'm on a flight tomorrow to visit uh colleges with my daughter for the first time in a year i'm you know i'm, I'm going to be on a commercial flight so um yeah i don't know that's basically how do you manage remotely and lead remotely and, and what's different than leading in a, a more traditional office environment we get asked a lot what is your biggest piece of advice on that front yeah, the biggest piece of advice on that front is the three elements in in one of our books called Power Score that we found that if you're good at these three things, your team is 20 times more likely to achieve their goals or achieve success, whatever success means in that context, than if, if you as a leader um, are not good at all three things. You have to be good at all three things. And I'll tell you what they are, and it sounds pretty obvious, but we, we, um, we looked at over 17,000 cases of successful and unsuccessful executive careers so you know it's like hugely data driven and we could have found anything like you know you know who knows being able to um you know speak pig latin could have been the thing that i feel like who knows right we could have found anything matters in in uh, driving leadership success but we found these three things matter the most so one is uh, being able to prioritize and so check this out in a traditional office environment you know you could have a lot of stuff going on and people can be employees could be unclear about what are the goals or you know like what, what am i supposed to do and just constantly ask you in a traditional office environment it's a little harder to do remotely so we say like hey look you know be really clear on what the organization's goals are what every person's goals are and it's better to have a smaller number than a bigger number and you've heard this a million times sam you know leaders get um you know sort of drown in and and distracted and and having too many goals or 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 tasks to do so yeah so basically there that the the emphasis is uh make sure as, as a leader you're clear and have a, a small number of goals for folks that's one two is hiring and, and developing talented teams so it's it, we call it the who part you know sort of who's on the team so you can do hiring remotely you have to do hiring remotely yes you can follow all the steps in our who book about you know good hiring remotely it, they do work so it's not like it doesn't work remotely but um it is harder because you have to be more disciplined about you know following the steps for good hiring um using you know zoom and and video than than you do when you have just sort of more time and more in-person time with folks so the hiring piece is important extra important when you're managing remotely um then the third and final one is um, it's called building relationships focused on results. So uh, this is you know, sort of like, what do you communicate? You know, whether you're an entrepreneurial company or you know, a global 1000 company, um, what are you communicating? How are you building relationships? Who's talking to who, when, how often? That kind of stuff's uh, really important. You can be more disciplined about it, I think, in a, in a remote context. Um, and just basically the punchline there is, you know, make sure the right people are talking about the right things in the right so if you're going through turmoil and let's say you're in the hospitality industry and it's pandemic time and you know it's this kind of weekly trench warfare you know you, you're going to need like you know daily huddles or you know weekly meetings with you know groups of people to call out what's happening you know what actions are going to be taken etc um if you're you know cruising along and business is great and you don't want to you know sort of um swamp the field then maybe don't have so many meetings you know that, that kind of thing so building relationships focused on results is the third skill in the uh in the power score uh framework all three of those things seem to me just sort of extra important in a remote context than when you have the luxury of being around people in the same uh building 
your book who is awesome and it's one of those books that it it, uh, it becomes a i massacre books when i i, I have a highlighter and a pen and three other colored pen. i'm just like a monster and your your book became one of those you know totally massacred <laughs> taking a lot of really good what, what i liked about it was if the practical piece the specific line of questions the specific the specificity around how to handle an interview process was really great my my question for you is around identifying people that have the right skills for a job today uh, what advice do you have for hiring managers or leaders because there's a lot of talk today around being tough to find workers with the right mix of skills for work yes what are you saying on that front yeah so it's it's interesting there are different pieces to the problem, right? And so in the Who book that you mentioned, we identified four steps that if you follow them to good hiring, you, you should be able to achieve and you do achieve a 90% hiring success rate, which is really high. The average manager in the world, and that we've studied um, CEOs and, C- and executives across you know dozens of different countries and cultures and SIC codes and types of businesses. And this, this is the case where, you know, par for the course is to get it wrong about half the time. So making a hiring mistake 50% of the time is what's normal, which is horrible, as defined by Sam, like a year after you hire someone, do you regret you hired them? If yes, you regret it, that's a hiring mistake. If you don't regret it, it's not a hiring mistake. So it's simple, you know, simple definition of what, what hiring success means. Um, but if you follow these four steps, you can achieve 90% hiring success. And I don't know, you know, it, it's certain, people ask me all the time, like, what's a hard one or today, what's different? Um, I think s- s- the two hardest parts are not figuring out what the skills are that are needed. That's, that's not that hard. We sit with clients all the time. We say, hey, what's the job? What are the goals? What does the person need to do? How do they need to do it? Like, you know, in about 20 minutes, you can come up with what we call the scorecard. So, you know, for, for the role. So that's not hard. Um, step two is harder which is sourcing, you know, how do you actually source talent? You know, we've advised uh, companies in very niche industries that say, hey, we can't find enough talent. We've advised companies and organizations in kind of weird geographies where they're like, hey, you know, it's hard to find talent, people willing to work here, et cetera. Um, So we'll double click on that one in a second. There are a couple ways to source more talent, but that one I probably get asked the most uh, often is like that part of the, the process of hiring. How do you source the right talent? And then the third step um, is I think the hardest step, and this is called the select step. That's when you have candidates and you got to pick, you know, pick a winner or you got to like ask people are, it's not easy to figure people out. It just isn't. People don't, you know, just have like an A or a B or a C on a jersey. They walk in your office and then you go, ah, there's an A. I want to you know, hire that person. So that's the select step. And that's uh, around doing fancy interviews that really get at what someone has done in their life and in their career and, and therefore what they're likely to do on the job working for you. And the fourth and final step is called the sell step. I don't think that one's that hard. That's basically like once you have you know, once you've like figured out the skills you need, that's the scorecard. Once you've sourced candidates, that's the source step. Once you've done these interviews and you've selected, ah, that's the person I want to hire. How do you sell them? How do you close the deal? Um, there are just a few um, simple kind of rules of thumb for how to uh, close someone once you decide you want to 
to hire them. So those are the four steps in this day and age. Yeah, I still think steps two and three, the sourcing and the selecting are, are uh, always the, the, the most challenging steps. Yeah, it's, as, a, as a startup, just speaking from it, from experience, you know, and our experiences are very unique. Do you work? What, what would you do? You work with a lot of startups or technology companies. We what is don't. Your mix? We we used to. Uh, my so I I did a, a PhD dissertation uh, almost thirty years ago on the topic of how venture capitalists evaluate and pick the entrepreneurs that they pick to invest in. So it's a really fun study. It's really cool. I got about 70 venture capital firms to share with me their methods for how they, you know, get to know the entrepreneurs they invested in and what determines, you know, who gets invested in. So that was, that was very cool. I was kind of marinating in early stage venture work uh, for that in the early parts of GH Smart. We've kind of gravitated up markets. So today, you know, we work with, um, I don't know, probably about 20 of the 500 biggest companies in the world and, you know, a whole bunch of large uh, private equity firms and, and, and you know, just larger companies are more of the focus. Um, I do a lot of speaking to entrepreneur audiences. So I feel like I'm in touch yeah. with the entrepreneurial community at EO and YPO. You know, I talk to thousands of entrepreneurs every year and they tell me what their challenges are. I think with entrepreneurs, you, have, you, you used to have too much work to do and not enough time. And so process, you know, it's like a dirty word. And, and I'm sitting there at the, you know, on the stage saying, hey, you got to follow this four-step process for good hiring. And folks are, are tough uh, or it's hard for, for people to allocate the time to do it. That said, the entrepreneurs we have worked with, um, I've seen firsthand who go from just a startup and just a twinkle in your eye of what the vision is to, you know, mega, like multi-billion dollar net worth, you know, self-made. Those folks take the time to hire well. They really do. I mean, it's really different. I've, I've seen firsthand the care that some of the most successful entrepreneurs I've seen have taken, especially in the early days about making those two or three, you know, key hires, key functional area hires to really propel the business forward. So I, I'm here to say, uh, I don't know, um, you know, don't just go hair on fire, you know, oh, you're too busy to follow process, like maybe be too busy to follow other processes. But when it comes to good hiring, you're not going to want to cut corners on that one. Totally. You know, it's... Hiring is one of those things in, you brought up venture capital. And I, I remember a conversation with one VC I had, you know, a year ago, right? Pre-pandemic and the conversation went something like, you know, you need to build your sales team. So you need to hire four salespeople a month, every month. They don't, if they don't succeed every 60 days, churn them and do that for 12 months until you got three good ones. And I was, I remember being like, yikes, you'll be hire 48 people and end up with three. He's like, don't worry about it. Hire fast, fire faster, churn and burn and just, and just go. And as a person who cares so much about culture, yes, absolutely no way going to do that. Yeah. That, I, I really hate that advice that, that you got. And I'm glad that it, it seemed weird to you. I mean, it, culture is, is so important and yeah, ch the, the churning approach uh, we call it the terminator approach to hiring so we have all these like you know pet names for different ways of hiring the art critic is a person who just sort of uses gut feel intuition to try sort of like the way an art critic appraises a painting like you know boom you're hired um the the terminator is the is the person kind of like the vc who uh, described an approach where you just hire 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 you know and see who survives and then you fire the rest of the folks yeah that's bad on culture 
Um, culture really is, I don't know, I, this is a weird realization for someone who's you know, lived, lived in the world of culture and hiring and talent for his whole career. Just a couple of years ago, it really dawned on me that uh, culture is like the first thing you have to get right in order to be able to then hire the you know great folks into your firm. So I, in my world, culture is super important, drives your ability to hire and retain great people, which then drives your you know revenue and operating performance and ultimately the value of the business. So I just looked up while you're talking my my firm's Glassdoor, you know, culture rating, you know, is, uh, you know, we're 4.8 out of five. I got a hundred percent approval. Sam, I feel so proud of that. It's, you know, it takes a long time, I think, to really build a great supportive culture that folks hear about and they want to come work at your company. So um, yeah, the, the churn and burn approach is a real culture burner. And it, to me, seems like a very short term way of, uh, of building your business. The smarter way to do it is really figure out how to build the best darn culture in your industry and get the word out, brand it, and then folks will find you and you can have your unfair share of talent and, um, and grow a great business. What do you, what do you think, Jeff, uh, over the last year is a, in the communities around social justice and our, uh, I would say we're, we're living in a moment where we're having a lot more conversations around diversity and equity specifically. Yep. You know, your, your expertise is sitting really on the front lines of how do we make workforces more diverse? How do we get different experiences and people that maybe you know look different into the org? Yes. Has any part of your scorecard shifted or changed or, or you, you thought about? Yeah, yeah, it has actually. I think in, over the last couple of years, we've um, just as a global business community, gotten better at at calling out you know unconscious bias and hiring approaches at the scorecard stage you know artic- very specifically saying you know hey we want we want uh, to build a diverse team and so if you have diversity of you know whether racial ethnic you know lgbtq plus you know whatever diversity is good so um more of it is better and that's a much more deliberate uh, mindset that we see um you know, enlightened business leaders practicing these days. There's a um, there's a book behind me here. Since this is an audio podcast, your listeners can't see. It. It's called a, a Great Place to Work for All by Michael Bush. Um, his firm does all those the uh, workplace surveys for like Fortune. You know that are just coming out right now. You know, best companies to work for. So his company does those surveys. Um, and Michael, he's an advisor on on my board, uh, JH Smart. Um, he he's very articulate about saying like, you know, hey, um, you, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, do it because it's the right thing to do and or do it because it's also like the smart business thing to do. So his, he has all the survey data, right, on companies. And he's basically like, I'm kind of tired of making the business case for diversity. He's been making it for, you know, for um you know, decades. And, you know, so the business case is like, hey, you know, diverse organizations and teams beat non-diverse ones. Um, but it's almost like kind of annoying to have to make the business case. You know, it's just, it's a smart uh, and the right thing to do. In fact, um, one of our uh, interns at GH Smart, um, Khalil Green, who's the first black president of the student body of Yale, um, chose to work at my company over the last three months, which I, I thought was a great honor. And he had a great experience. Um, and he was he he wrote a piece that will appear somewhere uh, in uh, HBR 
I think in the next couple months um, with with my colleagues and basically saying enough with the business case, you know, this is just basically, um, you know, an obvious best practice for modern managers is like be aware of and, you know, uh, seek to build a uh, diverse teams like, like the end. It's kind of like, um, yeah, so at the scorecard level, uh, valuing diversity and being specific about uh, wanting to have it on your teams is something much more um, on the forefront of the minds of business leaders these days. And I think that's great. And there's there's a lot of progress being made there. And then in the actual interview process, you got to watch for bias because you know, bad interviewing is kind of like, oh, I'm looking for someone who I have chemistry with. And oh, you know, you played lacrosse too. And I played lacrosse and I like champagne and you like champagne. And like, you know, come on, there's like a lot of like really culturally sort of charged things that people, you know, feel good about because other people like the things they like, you know, who are maybe from their culture or whatever. Um, that's, that's bad. So having an interview approach um, that is so heavily focused on chemistry, you know, sort of leads to um, cloning um, of folks. But if you have a more fact-based interview approach, like the one that we propose in in the, our Who book and what we practice at GH Smart, you're gathering real data on what people are actually able to do, and you're able to more um, unbiasedly evaluate the probability that they're going to be able to perform well in your company. So yeah, this is all good. Um, I think it's you know in the right direction, though you know some companies are are you know much better at it obviously than others, and I think those companies will continue to outpace the other ones in, in overall performance. Totally, I got one final question for you. You know we're living in a in a time where there's a lot of folks out of work that are going to be coming back, and hopefully the next few months. There's a lot of people who are coming back to a job that's maybe shifted or changed. There's a lot of uh, talk around. Robots and automation and infrastructure bills, and I want to talk to you about you know the statement around future of work, this concept future of work, and what your hope is for the future of work. Yeah, so I think there's a my hope for the future of work is that we don't all just sit around and let the robots do <laughs> do all the work because I, I think work I believe is just a personal belief. Um, I, I think work does drive uh, a sense of fulfillment and impact and it's important for people and for society so um, so what I what I think will happen and what I'd like to see happen is um, is we won't just automate everything I think we'll automate less interesting tasks we'll automate stuff that that uh, robots can do well and I think that it can, you know can increase the, the quality of life of people and and their job satisfaction also. Um, I think there are higher level skills that folks better learn if they want to not get obsolete. So if like, you know, doing summing, um, you know, counting things quickly and accurately, you know, something that's like going to be, uh, you know, very automated very quickly. So like maybe that shouldn't be your only skill set, but um, advising, that's a higher level skill set that robots, you know, can't quite do super well. Um, empathizing is a higher level skill set. I don't care if you're a doctor or you're a technologist or 
you know, you are, you know, in manufacturing and trying to really empathize with customer needs, or if you're in consulting, um, I think empathy and empathy skills are, you know, wonderful for folks to uh, continue to, to build and develop if they want to um, not be obsoleted by automation. There's going to be lots of analytics and database, you know, uh, analysis that can then make the humans doing advising a little extra smart, but there's still going to be an interface, you know, sort of person to person at the high end of the food chain of um, empathizing, problem solving, um, you know, uh, and, and, and advising ultimately other, other humans. So I think in whatever industry you're in, if you can get out of the part that can be automated and kind of like upskill to the part where uh, empathy and strategy and problem solving and communication, you know, are the, are the skills, those are the ones that are uh, going to take longer to uh, be automated, I believe. Yeah, one day, and I think extreme, last thing here, Sam, I think extreme specialization is another safe place for folks to go. Um, in the Who book, we say, try to hire the specialist, not the generalist. And I think that applies for job seekers too. Um, the more sort of refined and technical and narrow and deep your knowledge of something or somebody, whether it's customers or suppliers or, or whatever, a certain type of uh, part of the market, the, the better. Just, I, I think um, you'll, it's more defensible to be an expert and to be, you know, sort of the uh, world's best firm at something very specific and narrow, or you know, to, as an as an employee, to be really good at something that's needed, that's specific and 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 narrow, um, rather than to just be the sort of generalist um, looking for a job. Jeff, really, I've really enjoyed the conversation, and thanks for taking time. Pleasure, I did as well. Thanks, Sam. Jeff said culture is the first thing you got to get right in order to be able to hire the great folks into your firms. Culture, culture, culture. It's like every conversation right now, we're talking about culture, but I thought it was really powerful to hear Jeff's perspective around hiring process, how he thinks about it. And again, whether you're a startup, you don't have the same resources as a large firm, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. On top of the fact, it's pretty impressive his glass door reading is as high as it is. I'll end where Jeff ended saying his hope for the future of work is that we don't all just sit around and let robots do all the work. Being active, participating, it's going to be critical for any brand in the future of work. So thanks to Jeff Smart for joining us. And if you haven't read the book, head on over to your local bookstore and pick up Who from the authors of The Power Score, Jeff Smart and Randy Street. Now don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work.